welcome to Healthy Perspectives with Jeremiah, a podcast that brings you current social and cultural issues through a clinical lens. Hello, hello. All right. For those of you who are brand new, we definitely appreciate you showing up. For those of you who've been with us for a while, uh, go back and think about where we started, where we have come. It has been a journey and it continues to be a journey. So without further ado, I am going to move right into this topic of the day. And the topic of today is we are going to take on our, our, our political problem from a clinical view. If I were to step back and look at what's going on politically. Now, this is not a political podcast. Those of you who followed, you understand I am oftentimes, as my last podcast would suggest, I'm apparently kind of boring, right? Because, because why? Because I'm not here to tell you how you have to live. I'm here to suggest there's a better way than the way you're doing it now, which is reality. And today I'm going to take a look at politics from the lens of a clinician. If I take a, a politician and I, I say all the politicians fall in one category, and then I take voters and all the voters fall in another category. Now, clinically, the way that I would address that is I would treat, treat each of those entities as if it were a person, because then I can break down the psychology of it. Right. So I'm going to walk through what we would do clinically if we dealt with politicians on one side and voters on the other. And if I do that, what I am essentially going to do is break down the fundamental problem that exists in our political arena as voters through the lens of clinical work. And that is one word. One single word is the problem. And that is trust. Let, let me walk you down that path. All right. If this is a relationship between politicians and voters, which it is, then the problem we have is trust. Trust is fundamental to every relationship. Let's take a look. I'm going to give you some, some pretty extremes and some pretty ordinaries. A mob boss and their people. Every relationship requires trust. As soon as the mob boss loses trust, we have an issue. And they'll set boundaries, which we'll get to in a minute. Husband and wife. Trust. Friend and friend. Trust. Politician and voters. Trust, it's required. Without trust, relationships decline. And what are the core elements of trust? I've gone over this many, many times. If you haven't followed me long enough, you can go back and you can listen to some of the others. But the thing that destroys trust every time, lies, secrets, and deceptions. Lies, secrets, and deceptions. So where trust is in question, what do we do? Clinically, we talk then about boundaries. We establish boundaries. So we go back, we take a look, mob boss and, and their people. 
Well, how do they set boundaries? Fear. It's primarily based on fear. They use guns, violence, uh, other people as a means of maintaining control. Fear. Okay. Husband and wife. Hopefully they're not going with guns, violence, and fear. <laughs> communication and safe places. They establish appropriate communication and safe places. We'll come back to that. Friends, same thing, right? It, it, you, the way they establish boundaries is through communication processes and creation of safe space. Okay. What about politicians and voters? How do they establish boundaries? Well, unfortunately, what we have is they are using lies, secrets, and deceptions as a means of establishing boundaries. And we're not there yet. I don't think we're there yet. Maybe in some places it might seem like we're there. But the idea of fear or guns absolutely play a part in it. Who's, who's got control of the police and the military? Who's got control of Second Amendment rights? Right? You see how this battle is being brewed based on a lack of trust. Okay. So the boundaries between politicians and voters is the lies, secrets, and deceptions because they want your vote and possibly also using armed officers. All right. The boundaries between the voters and politicians is free speech, peaceful protest, votes, and Second Amendment rights. Because if in the event, not, God forbid this happen, I did this not something we should be striving toward. But if it did happen and the government decided to use its armed officers or military on its own people, the only thing standing between the people and them would be the Second Amendment. So you can see why those weaponizations of things like the Second Amendment are taken so seriously, honestly, on both sides of the aisle, if we're being truth, truthful about it. So let's play it out. The vaccine. The vaccine came into our world. The politicians said, do this, it's safe, it's good, you should, you should make this happen, keep each other protected, go get the vaccine. Okay, they established their desire, right? Then people reared up and said, not so sure about that. They peacefully protested. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't riots on the streets because of the vaccine. There was, you know, there was peaceful protest, free speech. People say, not sure. And then what, what did we see as a response from the politicians? They established boundaries, lies, secrets, deceptions, and silencing of free speech. That's what we saw. I mean, whatever side of the argument you're on, I don't care. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about the boundaries and techniques being used by politicians and the boundaries and techniques being used by the voters because I'm treating them as unique individual entities. So we had a whole vaccine ordeal 
Why? Trust. It's trust. People didn't trust the vaccine, but then when they stood up and said, I'm not sure I trust this, then the politicians went into their boundary setting techniques, which was lies, secrets, deceptions, and if you don't do it, well, they did try to do one other thing. They tried to reward people to convince them to do it. So that was an interesting thing. It's like, hey, we're going to give you a free cheeseburger. Yay. As if that made any sense, right? We're trying to convince them to be healthy and we're going to give them a cheeseburger. All right. I mean, good old American way. Whatever it takes, I guess. Okay, let's, let's talk about uh, uh, the Trump indictment. So we've got a situation here where the politicians are, are really allying and taking a view. And the voters, I think in general, are taking a different view. The voters, I think, just want to know what the heck is going on. And some, many, actually, will pretend that they know exactly what's going on. However, we cannot know exactly what's going on. Why? Because there's so many things being hidden from the voters behind the facade of top secret. Let's be real. If the politicians trusted the voters enough, many of those top secret things may not actually be top secret. Now, you may say, well, there's too many people that aren't trustworthy. And that might be true. Maybe that's sowing the discourse for the distrust, right? The, 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 the politicians are like, we can't trust the people who voted us into these positions where we now know information. We can't tell the people who voted us in the information that we have. Whew, that's awkward. Put that in, you know, in your purview and go, hmm, let's chew on that. Again, it's trust. At the end of the day, the politicians don't trust the voters. At the end of the day, the voters don't trust the politicians. Okay, like here, just for a second, I'm going to rabbit trail here for a second. Play this out. Trump goes to court. All of these documents get released to where? Well, the top secret ones, those shouldn't get released. They're not going to get released to a jury, are they? Are they going to get released to the judge? I mean, does the judge have top secret clearance? I hope, but maybe not. Okay, so let's say they get released to the judge and the judge determines none of these things can be seen, but I'm going to go ahead and let the counsel talk about them hypothetically. How, how does that play out? You're going to end up with, I mean, the best case scenario I can play out from a clinical lens of this trial, this situation, is a whole bunch of secrets being kept. And if there is a whole bunch of secrets being kept, you still have the lie, secrets, deception section going on and a lack of trust. Are they going to really truly play out a scenario where they trust the jury? Are they going to background check the jury to the extent that they can be trusted with top secret documents? I doubt it. I mean, that could be interesting. Then we'd have a jury of our own peers, 13 people, presumably, and a bunch of alternates who would all have to be vetted just in case there was an issue. So maybe 50, 75 people who would know information. That's top secret. It's very interesting to think about that.
How about the Biden scandal? I mean, that's what it is at this point, right? It's this whole thing that, you know, Hunter did some job for people he wasn't qualified to do a job for and, and like a bunch of money came across and, you know, Biden says, where's the money? And they track down the money and there's, you know, there's a couple of shell corporations that Biden has. Uh, I, I heard somebody named them the other day. I'd have to go back and look. I don't, I don't remember. It might've been like a Ted Cruz who named the, uh, the organization. Um, and you know what, maybe I'll take a look and I'll post that in the podcast note for you. So, we take a look at that and we go, hmm, the voters trust, politicians trust, broken, everywhere it's broken. So if the politicians were one entity and the voters were another entity, like an individual, here's where we're going to get all clinical up on you here. How would I treat that clinically? What would I do to treat that clinically? If I have two arguing people, two people who don't have trust, what do I do? Well, I do some trust building. I first I say, you know, I, I create a safe space. A safe space for what, you might ask? A safe space to be wrong. That's right. We create a safe space to get things wrong. Why? Because when we have a safe place to be wrong, we can grow. So what is safe? What are we thinking about when we're saying safe as clinicians? We're talking about emotional safety, where one will not become domineering and, and demanding and like blah, 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 and overpowering emotional safety. We're also talking about physical safety, a space where, you know, two people aren't going to physically assault each other. Okay. We're talking about spiritual safety where the, the reality of their spiritual walk is put into perspective in such a manner that they, they don't feel like they're going to be judged for where they are whether they are immature spiritually or mature spiritually. We want space to be kind and respectful to each. So we create that space. Relational safety. That's a tough one because as a clinician, that's honestly one of the more difficult ones, that one and the next one, which is environmental safety. Because I can create that in my office, but what happens to the relationship once it's no longer in my presence? Does it shift back? to a lack of safety? Sometimes it does. And so as a clinician, I create some boundaries around that. Like, hey, look, when you walk out of here, you don't get to weaponize what happened in here. Should I find out that you've weaponized it? We will deal with that accordingly. Now, what does that mean? I mean, it means that I will ally with the other person because they are being attacked. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to stay in that ally position. But what it's going to mean is I'm going to put you in your place in terms of relational safety, environmental safety, emotional safety. I'm going to let you know exactly what I see as I see it. 
Now, I'm not perfect. I can get things wrong. That's why I say as I see it. Because it's that story of the three who approach the elephant and they are blind. One has the tail. It feels different, looks different to their hands. It smells different. Another gets the leg, another gets the trunk. They're all different, but they have validity in the discussion. Why? Because when we take those pieces and we put them together, it's pretty easy to tell we're hanging out with an elephant. All right, more to come. All right. So the next one, formalized communication. That's the next thing that I would do. When, in particular, when emotions elevate, I would formalize communication. Well, the good thing is when we're looking at voters and we're looking at uh, politicians, the politicians have formal processes in place, right? The House, the Senate, they have formal communication processes. What's missing is a formal communication process between the politicians and the voters. There isn't one. There isn't one. So you have some politicians who are creating podcasts. You have others that go to ABC, NBC, CNN, uh, Rumble, YouTube. They, they're going all over. There's not a formal communication process between the politicians and the voters. And that inherently is a weakness that's going to illuminate the distrust. And so what do we have? We have media being targeted all the time, maybe rightfully at times, wrongfully at times. And yet we don't know as voters where to go to get the formal communication from the politicians that represent us. Okay, so I've run some examples, uh, you know, in my, in my world where I said, okay, I'm going to try to create communication between me, me personally, and my representatives. So I created a list of my representatives. All right, I got two from uh, here up in North Idaho. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, some senators. I've got some congressmen that they, these people all represent me. And I got a total of six of them. All right. Now, now there's more, there's more, but directly representing me, me, these six represent me. And so I've sent them communication. So I go to their, their designated page and I find their formal process. And what do I hear in return? I get an email returned to me. And that email, you know what it says? Thanks for your communication. We'll be in touch. And then I wait a week. I wait two weeks, sometimes three, four. And then sometimes I never get communication back. What does that tell me? It tells me that the formal communication process that the politicians have established, they think is working, is broken. So we need to formalize communication processes. And then in that formal communication process, in my opinion, from a clinical lens, I would use an awareness wheel. I would say, what are the facts? What are the interpretations, feelings, wants, and actions requested? Every single time I sent a formal communication process, it says, do you want us to respond? 
every single time I click yes. And still, probably one out of 10 times, I get a response. That is not a formal communication process. That breaks down trust between voters and politicians. Some can access the politicians that represent them and some cannot. Now we're splitting voters. See, they, see how this distrust is sown in there? Okay, the third thing that I would do if I'm dealing with voters and politicians. Oh, by the hold on, let's go back. That formal communication process. If we don't know what it is as politicians, that's a problem. If we don't know what it is as voters, that's a problem. I went down the voter path, so I had to come back and just say, and to the politicians, I request from you what is your formal process? Because it's not the one that you have told us is established, at least not with the six representatives that I have reached out to multiple times on multiple issues in order to request a response. So if not the process that you have established, then what is it? Like, feel free to email me at healthyperspectives at protonmail.com. I look forward to your email. Of course, the chances of you, one, hearing this, and two, responding to it is um, probably zero. Why? Because you're not going to take the time to listen to one of your voters, most likely, who's doing a podcast. I'm a nobody on your radar. I'm just a single vote. Statistically, I don't matter. It's the 10,000 around me that matter. But hey, I digress. All right, back on track. Number three, I would teach both parties, both the voters and the politicians, how to table a topic. It's like if I sent an email to the politicians and they're like, I'm not prepared to answer this. That's fine. Send me a note that says, hey, I am not prepared to answer this at this time. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to have my people hold on to your email and we'll get back to you in the next couple of weeks once we have a formal uh, answer for you. Okay, fine. I could live with that. Would it, I mean, would I hate waiting still? Yeah, I would hate waiting. But, you know, immediate gratification is part of our culture, all that kind of good junk. But at the end of the day, I could live with that. I could live with that because at least you have tabled the topic and given me a specific time at which you'll get back to me. That's how we table topics. We say, time out. Let's come back to this in 10 minutes. Let's come back to this in two weeks. Like, let's table this topic, okay? As long as you're doing it reasonably, that's a good process. And when in doubt, I would say to each of them, the voters and the politicians, I would say 30, third party involvement in other words, take it to your counselor. Like if a couple or a, a, a you know a couple of people were in with me and they had a dispute, let's say, we could resolve that here with me in, involved. I'd be a mediator at that point. If they did that not in my presence, I would say table the topic until you can come in and sit with me and I will help mediate the discussion to keep the communication formal to create the safe space so that you two can deal with this, hash this out, and so on. That's what I would do. So table the topic until you can get a third party. Who's the third party for the politicians and the voters? Is there one? 
Is there, you know, honestly, in the past, I would say most of the time it was the media. We've lost our third party because the media now is divided. People are going to their own echo chambers, which you heard me talk about before. And what we have is not a third party who is unbiased that all they want is the, uh, the, the building and structuring of trust. We don't have that anymore. We don't have real reporting much of the time. There are some out there, but you have to dig and look because there's a lot of propagandists out there posing as media reporters and it's crap. The fourth and the final thing that I would say is practice. How do you do that? You set up environments that are safe, formal, formalized in communication, where tabling a topic is a reasonable response under certain circumstances, and you practice communicating with each other. That means voters and politicians in the same space with a seat at the table, having a conversation. My request there is set that up. Let me know where it is. I will show up. I'll do my part of this, this responsibility. You know, they, they, you know, there's, there's talk that they do that at, uh, you know, the town council meetings and there's, you know, we do that through the, you know, uh, the educational uh, board meetings. Come on, really? Set up a formal communication process where you, the representatives of me and others like me, get in front of your people. They, you could do that on a podcast. I don't care where you have a live audience of your own voters asking their questions in real time. Now that's a podcast I would listen to because I'd be able to hear people like me talking to the politicians. You want to build trust? Let's try that. Let's do that. Let's create something that's better than Twitter. Let's do it live time. That's what I would do. So that is my clinical take on the political problem that we have between politicians and voters. I hope this gave you some things to chew on, think about, and I hope you get engaged in the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Take a look at the details of our podcast for links to our website and other helpful information.